don't buy a new build condo in Vancouver or in Toronto with the sole purpose of the street term is flip the paper before it gets actually built. Because if you do, you might lose your shirt. Welcome to the Tom Story Show with Steve Karish and Tom Story, where we discuss everything real estate or whatever else is on our minds. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Tom Story Show. I appreciate you being here. If you have not already, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Steve, we are almost at 3,000 subscribers on the podcast. By the time this comes out, we're at 3,000 or higher. Yeah, and uh, if you are number 3,000, Steve will buy you, uh, what, uh, A&W, because it's his new fast food favorite in BC. How about I send you a KRP sticker? What this about a Tom not, Story Show sticker? What about the, the podcast? I think I sent my last one to Richard Robbins, but okay, I think fair I might enough. be out. I think I might All be right. Uh, if you're listening on the audio platforms, just want to say I hope you're having a great day. And if you've been enjoying the podcast and coming back every single week and you have not already, make sure to leave us a yeah. review on uh, Apple Podcasts. Now, today's guest is someone that, frankly, I should have had it on the show way earlier. And if you're looking for someone to blame for the Tom Story Show even existing, this is the guy. Jazz Takar has joined the show. Jazz, I don't even know, like, you have so many titles, I don't know where to start. You are a good-looking Indian guy. Yeah, good-looking Indian guy. That's all we needed to say. (laughs) So Jazz works at the same company as me at Royal Page Signature. He runs a team which, in terms of unit production level, is in the top one or two in the entire country. He runs a very, very serious business. In terms of output of content, I really don't know of anybody let alone our industry in, in the world is at the same level of what you're putting out there right now. But Jazz, how, how would I describe you? What, what am I not saying that people would need to know? Um, you know, uh, first and foremost, I appreciate finally getting on to the Tom Story Show. So thank you. And the podcast. I love it. You guys are doing awesome out there. And I, I'm not just saying that. I mean, I bump into real estate agents, mortgage brokers, who are obviously, you know, the cousins in, in our industry. And so many people tell me that that they get so much value from not only these episodes, but all the content that you put out there. But in terms of your question, brother, um, look, I've been I've been in the real estate business now for coming up to 19 years. Um, I I like to kind of refer to myself as someone who's really, really a a sales guy at heart. And I don't mean that from like a sleazy salesperson perspective. I, I, I actually hope that I can change the industry, not just the real estate industry, but the sales industry. Because, you know, I did I did car sales for three, four years at a very high level. I sold shoes and not the not the Al Bundy type. And some of your older uh, listeners might get that reference. But like I used to help sprinters and marathon runners, right? And at Sporting Life for about three years. And so each of my stints, and there's so much more, um, we're, we're, we're not quick little hits for three, four, five months. I've been there for years, did it at a high level. And so I also didn't do anything else. Like I barely passed high school. Um, I always was the kid that knew I'm going to be in some way or some form in the sales industry. And so that's kind of hopefully the value that I'm going to bring to your viewers and listeners today. And then just to give the viewers and listeners a bit more perspective. So, okay, so Jazz was a sales guy forever. Then you came over to the real estate industry. But not only do you just kind of like sell real estate, but you run a team of, I think, over 50 people. Like, 
maybe more at this point. I'm not exactly sure where it's at. How did we get like most people just get into this business and they try to survive and they're like, I gotta sell some houses and they maybe they get an assistant. You guys have kind of leveled up to the point where you know, you're at the top in terms of what people are trying to accomplish. Was that the goal always, or did it kind of just always? Know, it was always. always the goal. So, get 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 getting into the business about 19 years ago. Um, I have a current business partner with my real estate team, um, and our team name is REC Canada. But like you mentioned earlier, Tom, we're we're, we're under the umbrella of Royal LePage Signature. A big shout out to both Jeff and Chris Slidem and the whole team here. They just do a kick ass job, and I have no vested interest in saying that they haven't started paying me yet. Maybe you got. Maybe you get some chat. No, they're not paying me yet either, Jazz. I I didn't either, right? (laughs) Um, But um, we uh, also had a third partner who tragically passed away about, actually, exactly six years ago, uh, three, four days ago. Um, And so him and I originally always had the plan that we weren't going to do real estate in the traditional way, which to us back then and still means that it's not going to be necessarily us that is, is going out and listing the properties. What we're really good at and I'm talking about knowing this back 19 years ago was the sales and marketing stuff. Like we can figure out how to make it rain, but we don't have to be the ones who are running out all day long. We wanted to create a business around our life and not the other way around. I think we're in the process of it still. Um, Every day, every month, every year brings on new challenges. Um, We're at 62 realtors now. And and uh, we've also set up like a leadership. We set up leadership in our organization. So you have myself and my business partner, and then we have a VP of marketing and sales. We have a director of team operations. And you said it bang on, brother. Most real estate agents, they get into this business to be a real estate agent. They don't see themselves as business owners, entrepreneurs, whatever word you want to use. And the unfortunate part about that is that they don't run this like a business. I mean, you two know, like, I'm preaching to the choir here with you guys. But I think I think that's the biggest mistake real estate agents make in their in like getting their license, getting into the business. And some guys and gals who've been doing it for decades, right? Like you can literally create a business around your life. And I'm living proof of it, man. Like I'm not the one that's necessarily listing properties. You know, I tell my clients, like if you want to talk about how to list a condo in downtown Toronto, I'm the worst real estate agent when it comes to that. In fact, speak to Tom's story. Like, like that's the guy, he'll do it. <laughs> What I'm good at, what I'm good at, and the shift that we made in the last decade specifically, is let me help you create a portfolio when it comes to investing into real estate. I can help with that. I'm not really into the curb appeal, and I could care less about the the the, the court's countertops and stuff like that. I want to help people create wealth in real estate, not that it's the only way to do it, but I'm a little biased. I think it's one of the best ways to create wealth in your life, which is using the vehicle of real estate investing. When we look at the Toronto market, and and so Steve, I don't I don't know if you guys had talked before. Steve's in just outside Vancouver, so he's in Surrey, BC. Um, so you know, we actually our- we we did meet. We met when I flew in for a virtual conference. I don't know if that gets if Jazz, that gets enough. Steve credit, was speaking but- at the RI event a few years ago, the virtual one. Oh yeah, yeah. All three of us were there. Yeah, and the the joke in our office because I was like, Steve came to the office, and everyone was like, "Wait, so you're you're from Surrey, but you flew to Toronto for a virtual (laughs) real estate conference?" (laughs) I just wanted to see my buddy Tom. That's what it was. Okay. 
Hey, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Sorry, to, sorry, to, sorry to break that up. But where I'm going with this is like our markets, I can't speak for the rest of Canada, but our markets, if you look on a graph for 40, 50 years, you look back, listen, owning real estate, and I continue to believe this into the future, is very good long term. But there's going to be moments in time where it is rocky. So Jazz, you've been doing this 19 years I would actually say most of the people that listen to the podcast, we do have the real estate industry, but there's the, it's homeowners, it's investors, it's consumers listening to this. So how do you think things are going to play out now, right? Because you know, this year hasn't been you know a banner year by any means. You've been through other years where it's been slow. Just the general vibe from the conversations you're having with your agents and with the consumers. Yeah, look, I think um, this type of market, we should have... It should have happened probably just before 2020, before lockdown, um, because we were on a very fluffy ride for the for, for, for the past decade, right? Um, every every decade, you will notice not only in the real estate market, but you get you get dips, you get dips in the stock market, you get dips in the economy. You generally run through some type of recession, and everything got delayed because of COVID. And so, what I feel like is happening right now, especially with all the announcements and increases of interest rates, people are going to have to hold on to their real estate a little bit longer. Look, I mean, what I tell my clients, and I get the calls from clients, and so I'm speaking to the home, homeowners, I'm speaking to the real estate agents, and our clients will call us sometimes and freaking out that their their value didn't go up as much as they thought it was going to go up. And my talk with them, and sometimes it's in a kind way, and sometimes it's like, look, Mr. and Mrs. Client, do you want me to sugarcoat or you want the straight goods? And and most people say, give me the straight goods, which is, look, at the end of the day, you really didn't do anything to earn the money that you earned on the value uh, 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 increases in your property. Like you didn't add even any income, uh, like a basement apartment. Right. You actually didn't do any renovations. You bought some property. You did it at the right time. You probably, you got it, you know, essentially at a lucky time. And now values went up. Yeah, I know they're not maybe selling as high as they were in, you know, February 2022, specifically here in the greater Toronto area, but they're still up hundreds of thousands of dollars from when you bought it back in 2017 and 2016. And now I understand that you might want to get out of the market, but this is how it goes where you can't necessarily sell right now at the top of the market. But if you hold on, and I, I don't need to be Nostradamus to tell you this, values are going to go up. In fact, the only thing that I think is going to stop this train is if the government of Canada stops bringing people in. And, and Steve, I didn't know you were actually from Surrey. So, I mean, that's where a lot of my paisans are as well. But the, <laughs> I'm aware. The, yeah, you're aware. Um, um, the, the, the two places that you can almost bank on, and I don't want to use the word guarantee, right? But I'm almost going to, like, I'm going to say it. You can guarantee that the two places that the values are going to increase is Vancouver and Toronto, because this is where people want to come. They, they, they want to come here because... And Steve might not like this, but I personally believe that Toronto's the 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 financial heartbeat of the country because there's the the major banks are here, the major schools are here, the major hospitals are here, um, and so because people want to come here, it's just basic basic supply and demand. You got a lot of people coming. You don't have enough of what they want. That only means one thing: 
the value of what people want increases. The analogy I can use, if you go to the baker and there's only, you know, a, a couple of loaves of bread, but there's 57 people hanging out and lining up, well, the chance of that bread might go up in terms of price, right? And so real estate plays out like that. Unfortunately, you might not be making as much as you wanted to because you might be you might be in the process of flipping a property. It's why I caution my clients. For example, don't buy a new build condo in Vancouver or in Toronto with the sole purpose of assigning it, meaning that you're going to sell it. You know, the, the, the street term is flip the paper before it gets actually built, because if you do, you might lose your shirt. And the nice thing about all the content stuff that you mentioned, Tom, is that like I'm on record now. I can pull back all those videos that I was saying three years ago, guys, please don't buy condos with the sole purpose of flipping it because shit can hit the fan. Well, mm -hmm. for a lot of people in the city of Toronto, I won't touch on Vancouver. I mean, that's Steve's job. Um, I, I, I don't, um, uh, I'm seeing right now, currently people losing their shirt. And luckily my clients, majority of them, there's, there's a handful of them that have to sell as well. But majority of my clients have been taught to buy and hold and to us buy and hold. And I, look, I don't know if this is, the, the 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 right way to do it but i believe that based on experience and history i think it's the the way that most investors should look at real estate really business and life and relationships is in 10-year windows right because when you look at real estate and any investment in a 10-year window it might be year nine it might be year 11 but you'll notice that it's doubled in values i mean we just went through probably a quadrupling of values in the last decade, but call that an outlier, call that an anomaly. But over time, in the past 100 years, every decade, on average, values have doubled. Just show me something that compares to that in terms of an investment and is also easy to get into because you don't have to buy with 20% down. You could buy as low as 5% down and there's some other people who give you money to buy that that property and those other people being the bank. And so it just, it really spells well for the people that can think long-term. To the flippers out there, not that there's anything wrong with it, I've never flipped properties from a short-term perspective, so I don't talk about it, but I can see why some of them are, 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 are a little concerned and worried right now because they banked on selling that property after they added an income suite, added a story to a property, and, and now they need to wash themselves from it, but it's not at the value that they need it to be. Jez, your team and on a level of production for the new construction sales for condos in, in Toronto, greater Toronto area, and even other markets I know you guys kind of cover everywhere <laughs> – there's not many people doing the level of new construction sales as you guys. Like that's just a fact, right? So what I want to figure out here is like, okay, even if four years ago I bought a new construction condo and my goal was to hold it, right? But when I bought it four years ago, I thought the interest rates were going to be 3% when I closed on it. You know, now it's 6%. Yes, rental prices have con come up, but if you put 20% down on that, you're not cash flowing. Like it's just not happening, right? For for most of these Toronto ones. Now, I'm paraphrasing this, but there was a news headline recently which basically said like 25 to 30,000 new condos are about to hit the market that were new inventory or about to close, and 85% of them were investor owned. 
and this may have been like trying to scare everyone that like 50% of the people either didn't want to close on them or couldn't close on them. And, and I don't know if that's just a scary news headline, but like this pre-construction world, which for a long time, kind of by mistake, not by mistake, but people made a ton of money. I, I know you're one of them, man. A lot of your clients made a ton of money through the years now, and it worked. It was a proven strategy until probably 2018. In terms of like the, the price, like it, to be worth more than you bought it for when it closed is what I'm saying here, right? But you know, there's a lot of people in the assignment market right now selling for a loss that might have to actually chip in just to close on it. I just, I'm curious of your perspective on not to play doom and gloom always, but listen, we got to acknowledge this. It wasn't like this before, it's like this now. What happens here? Look, I think, um, Using data that I have from my clients, which is now, um, I probably have in the last four years, we've we've helped investors to the tune in that strategy of pre-construction to about, I'm going to say about 400 units. And out of the 400 units, um, we're looking at approximately 100 of them that are closing now, so that the time of this recording, September 2023, upwards to, let's call it um, uh, uh, March or April of 2024. So I have about 100 of them closing. Out of the 100, I'm going to say um, about 70% of them, so you know, uh, uh, 70 units, are going to be, if they're closing in 2023, right now with the way that the rates are, they're going to be in negative cash flow. There's probably about 10 people only in, from that 70 that are going to have a tr- they're going to have trouble closing on it on their own. So let's let's go down kind of the thought process for each of those clients. So for the people that are not going to be able to close on it on their own, they have a couple of options. This episode of the Tom Story Show is brought to you by the Agent Confidential Live on October the 26th in Toronto. We are doing a full day event for real estate agents. Let's call it what it is. Sales volume is down. Interest rates are probably going to stay higher for longer than a lot of people think. And if you're serious about your business, this is the place you want to be. Now, I know some people listening or watching this show are not real estate agents. But hey, tell your real estate agent they got to be at this event. Listen to this speaker lineup. Eric Simon, aka the broke agent, aka the guy that runs BAM. He's flying all the way over to headline this conference. Kaylee Heaps, the number one team leader in Royal LePage Canada out of 20,000 people. Matt Leonetti, Shay Warrington, who's the number two individual agent in Canada. Nolan Mathias, the YouTube GOAT. Anna Oliver, Brad McCallum, Emma Pace, Natalie McGuire. I mean, come on, this list is insane. Oh, also, yeah, me and Steve are speaking at this event also, but don't worry, go for the other people. October the 26th, it's happening in Toronto. The seats actually legitimately are limited. We don't have that many, I'm not just saying that. So if you're interested in your ticket, make sure to go into the show notes or in the description if you're watching this on YouTube and sign up. This is gonna be an event you're not gonna wanna miss if you're a real estate agent in Toronto. And now, back to the show. They have a couple of options. Number number one option is doing the assignment. It is the parachute that we make sure that people have in the agreement of purchase and sale. But the downside of that is the is is that they're going to be selling it sometimes at a loss of what they bought it for. Not all the time, but there's not going to be much profit. So to me, though, that if there was no profit, that's still a loss 
because there was opportunity cost to that money that they did hold up and tie up for the last four years. But at least not all of them are going to lose money. To the ones that have to, uh, 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 where they're not able to close on it, sorry, and they don't want to do the assignment, what we recommend, because they might not be able to close on it, to your point, Tom, like they, they, they can't get the mortgage, lifestyle changes, or the fact that the cost of borrowing is increased, they're not able to get the fine, whatever it may be, is actually bringing on a joint venture partner. Because from a joint venture partner's perspective, you don't necessarily, let's just say you put 20% down as the original purchaser on this uh, $600,000 property. So it's 120,000 down, plus call it another $30,000 in, in, in closing costs. So you're at about 150 grand now. As a new joint venture partner, that person doesn't necessarily need to put any money down. What they could do is be part of that deal at, say, 25% of the equity or the growth of the property in the next five years by just putting their name on the financing. So we have a couple of clients that are going through it right now where they can't get the financing and we're, uh, we're not able to find a joint venture partner that wants to put down the 75000 of which is half of the $150,000. So the way that the deal got put together is that second partner said, you know what? Look, I don't have the money. I don't want to put the money down, but I'll close for you. I'll get the financing for you. And I want 25% equity in it. Mm. And so that's an option. And look, at the end of the day, the, la the, the last option is selling it and maybe losing a little bit of money. Look. Not all, and this is why I never say everything is guaranteed with when you're investing into real estate. Sometimes you do lose money. That's it is what it is. Like I can't, I feel really bad for people when when they gotta go through that, but you also need to be open to options. Now, a couple of my clients said, There's no way I want to give people 25%. Right. I'm like, well, if you don't give the 25%, bro, then you're gonna have to sell it. And this one we're gonna have to sell at a loss. So you tell me what you want to do. I personally think that you should bring in the joint venture partner, the value will go up. It and will go up. Who are these joint venture partners? Are these mom and dad? Is this family? Yeah. It's, is that typically who this is? Or is this um, like investor guy over here and we have a you know separate agreement you know, between us on what the equity is and all this kind of stuff, right? That, well, it, it, it's it's more the more the latter, in fact, okay. because look, I have a, a a database of investors now that I've been cultivating for 19 years of a little over 11,762 people. I kind of get a daily report just for giggles. I like to get it. Um, and so what we would do is, oh, okay, Tom, the original purchaser, this is his deal. We send out that email to people mm -hmm. that we know that would be interested in possibly doing a joint venture. And then Steve puts up his hand and says, ah, I want to get a little bit more information, but you, we might need to talk to seven Steves or tens, you know, in the past, it would be seven Steves. Now we probably need to speak to, you know, 12 or 14. It's double the amount of people that you need to speak to. And that is now putting Tom and Steve together as a joint venture partner. And that extra paperwork that you were, you were, you touched on Tom, that's just a trust agreement done with the lawyer. You don't do this on a napkin, boys and girls, like I'm talking to the viewers and the listeners right now. You get sit with a lawyer, do a trust agreement. It's all, all legit. It's where that actually spells out. Tom can't sell the property without Steve, vice versa. And what we always advise is, is, is writing in the contract that in five years, we're going to have another talk. Meaning in the five year mark, that's when we'll sit down and say, hey, like 
should we refinance this because the values did go up, pull out the equity, or no, the market didn't go up as much as we thought it was. Okay, great. Let's just renew the mortgage and do this for another five years. So that's to the people that can't close. But I also want to come back to the people that have, like, for example, negative cash flow on the property. And I'm speaking out of experience, like I'm negative in a couple of my properties. This is the way that I look at it. So I'm going to take a property that I have in downtown Toronto at the at the corner of King and Strawn. Tom, you'll know it really well. It's in King West, uh, back sound to uh, uh, Stanley Park. So Stafford Street. Stafford Street, okay? yeah. Stafford yeah. Street, okay. Now, I actually refinanced this property already twice. I bought this back in 2010 for $339,000. One bedroom, parking, yada, yada. It's probably off the top of my head. It's 650 square feet. Off the top of my head, it's probably worth 650 grand. One bedroom, one parking with a locker right around there. I've refinanced it before, uh, uh, during COVID, I apologize. I refinanced it during COVID. And right now I'm probably negative about 500 bucks a month. Okay. okay. So this is the way that I look at it. I look at the 500 bucks. I look in years, it, like from a yearly perspective, I'm $6,000 that I'm putting into this property every single month. Um, I know that even if I put in the next five years, $6,000, that's 30 K. That sounds like a lot of money, which it is. I'm like, it is a lot of money. So that's $30,000. But I know if this property even increases by 2% every single year in that five-year period, I know I'm losing some money out of my left pocket, but the mortgage is being paid down by somebody else. The principal is being paid down by somebody else and the values continuing to go up still. Now, not everyone could could uh, uh, pocket and stomach. Sorry, that's the word I'm looking for. They can't stomach that five hundred dollars. So I understand that as well. Fortunately for me, I have a day job, and my day job is selling real estate, right? So I'm able to afford the five hundred dollars because I'm thinking long term. I'm thinking about the fact that I also refinanced this property for, and pulled out $100,000 tax-free a couple of years ago and bought another property with that, right? So when you look at the overall, overall portfolio, I'm losing in certain ways, but my net is a positive overall. Now, for a mama-pop investor who this is only one property, look, unfortunately, that's the situation where where they might need to sell and they're going to lose some money. However, if we have anything to do with it, you know, even when on the flip side, really quickly, even when the market was crazy and people were flipping their uh, condos and making 200 grand, we were begging these people not to sell it either. We're like, look, yeah. I get it. The 200 yeah. grand is sexy. Like, who the hell doesn't want 200 Gs in their pocket? However, just so you understand, Mr. and Mrs. Investor, you know, our friends at the CRA, those guys with brown envelopes, they are going to come and ask for some of that money. When you actually look at it, it's not the 200 Gs that you're going to make. We might be better off to hold on to this and let's refinance. That's really the only ticket for me in investing into real estate in our country here in Canada because it's the only legal way not to pay tax. Yeah. I mean, I think re I've refinanced properties before um, and it's worked really, really well for me. I'm curious. I don't know in the last 18 months if anyone's refining anything, right? Uh, just because the rates have changed so much. But I I'm also curious to go like, okay, we talked about the amount of units coming. And, and it's interesting, Jazz, when you said like, okay, I have the 70 closing, you said 15 people might be like, I don't know if I can close or I don't want to close. And that's where these headlines come from, right? Because that is just, that's, 15%, like, let's write the headline, 15% of condo 
investors for upcoming closings can't close, right? Like that's that's what people are going to see. You're not going to see the the other, you know, whatever it is, 55 people that have no issue and are happy. And really quickly about that, like yes. people need to people that are watching also need to remember that these guys and gals bought these properties, you know, four years ago. So they didn't buy them at today's price point, right? So the mortgage that they're picking up, you know, if they bought them at $600,000, they're picking up a $480,000 mortgage. Majority of my clients, not that they're the, the, the uber wealthy in ivory towers in downtown Toronto either. They are the mama pop investors. They're blue collar people. But for them, a $480,000 mortgage, it's, it's, it's not that huge of a number that they need to pick up on. We weren't selling one point. One one point right. two million dollar condos ever. In fact, I I very very rarely like in the two thousand units that I've sold in in a ten year period pre construction. I don't think I've ever sold one that's north of a million bucks. If I like, there might be one or two in there, but majority of them in that sweet spot, right? Five hundred to about seven hundred thousand. Sorry to cut you off, by the way. Yeah, because I mean, investors aren't aren't buying the big ones, right? The numbers make more sense on the on the smaller units. I mean, thinking out loud here, I think maybe Steve, I want you to jump in. But to me, hearing all this, it's like, well, the rental prices are insane right now. Perhaps all this inventory hitting the market is going to be a good thing. Um, if we're just talking on the rental side of things, Steve, where's your mind at on everything? You've been quiet. My mind is just got to come back every week because I don't have to do nothing. <laughs> he just sits here and goes. It's fantastic. <laughs> Is great. Hey, Steve, um, I will you give just you pull the I, string, pull the string in the back, and I just go. Yeah. I appreciate you. Thank you. <laughs> I will give you my opinion on this because I'm not a, I'm not a new car salesman. I'm a used car salesman over here, right? Like I do resale, residential resale. Um, so I'll certified, give you my... certified pre-owned condos is what I call yeah. them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we do about one to two pre-cons. You would call them per year, right? Like pre-sale, like we'll take somebody that doesn't find what they want. They go, yeah, okay, I'll live there. It's usually not, it's no grand opening stuff. It's like leftover stock or whatever. And only twice ever in my career ever have I helped a client flip a property. Those are both after close. No, maybe I've done one assignment. I can't remember. Anyway. Um, so never have I helped that I can remember. Have I helped a seller flip the paper? And the reason for that is the first ever time was, I want to say she bought it in 2009, 2010, closed in 2011, I think. She paid $229 for it. And we resold it for her within three months for $187. So that was, and so many of the people I knew when I got into the business did that. So I have at least one phone call a month, if not two, of somebody phoning me saying, what do you think about this presale? What do you think about this presale? And what a, what a lot of what Jess alluded to is I spend a lot of time talking people out of, hey, I want to put down 10% and flip this paper in three or four years, oh. right? They just don't get that that's the majority of agents are not sitting there going, yeah, flipping the paper is a good idea. That is not much different in my opinion than going to uh, the, the casino. And going, you know, what, what? How are we rolling the dice on this one? But Hang on. to to your point, I there what they did work well for another client of mine. They, the, both these clients, by the way, didn't buy the unit with me. They went to the sales center and then came to me afterwards. Another guy closed on it, and we got him. You know, I want to say one hundred fifty grand in his pocket, something like that. 
Uh, no. And then that pesky CRA got in the way. So by the time you actually do the expenses and GSTs and everything, and the GST is payable again the second time if it's not occupied, by the way, all that sort of stuff, um, I think he put 60 grand actual profit in his, in his pocket. But there's just, people don't realize that the long-term game, like you said, is is the equivalent to the to the GIC. Right, closing on it and being able to have staying power and holding onto that property for 15 years is the sure win. And I'm going to go so far as to say sure win 15 years. Because here in Surrey, there's a bunch of guys I know. Uh, one guy in particular, I, I think of all the time pre sale 2006 high rise closed in 20, 2009. I think he bought no 2005, 2008 close. So three years to build the place. Uh, he closed on it. That property was negative until 2016. So he, he 10 years from signing the contract to closing and then to actually having positive, 10 years to go break even. Wow. Now, 2016, he sold it. The second he could break even, he sold it. The second. By 2018, that property value doubled. <laughs> So if he held on to it, like he held on to it for 10 years just not to lose money, couldn't hold on to it for another two to double the money. So that's what you got to, when you look at those charts, you will see, we could see 10 years of, well, five years, we did the numbers just on a, a recent episode with, with Tom uh, and I did it. We could see five years of decline and then a slow gradual build. And over 10 years, we might break even to where we are today. It's a possibility. Two, three years after that, the cycle is going to happen again. And that's why, and that's not saying like, oh yeah, you know, real estate always goes up. It's just the fact that since kings and queens have ruled the land, land was the most important thing. A roof over your head was the most important thing. And that's where everybody gets lost. They just, uh, I don't know. They shouldn't get lost. What, what, what I was going to add when you were talking about like assignments in BC, um, I, they might have changed the law, but I know as recent as like two years ago, when you flip it for a profit, the contract's written slightly different in BC than it is in Ontario, where the profit actually goes back to the developer. Oh. So I, like I, I could be wrong about that, like as like maybe they changed it in 2023, because I have a lot of investors from Vancouver that look at stuff here in Toronto and they're like, well, I wouldn't want to do the ins- uh, assignment because that the profit goes back to the developer. And so the, the difference here in Ontario is that the, the profit comes back to the original purchaser. But Steve, I could be wrong with that because something could have changed. Usually you see uh, really high assignment fees. Got it. So, so to assign, it's not that the profit doesn't go to you, but it's uh, if you're going to flip it for a profit, first, more profit's going to go to the developer. So there'll be like a one and a half percent assignment fee uh, of whatever the the profit is, uh, yeah. that sort of thing. Or sorry, the I guess the overall new sale price, which is actually a good chunk of your profit. Then there there is a thing, but most of our, if you get an assignment. If you're allowed to assign right now in Surrey and probably Vancouver, you are buying off of a bad developer because all of the good developers say not a chance ever that you're going to assign this because they don't want to be competing against themselves if the market goes south. So all any uh, developer worth their weight right now will not 
let you assign for any reason. And um, what we found in in speaking with a uh, Randy West, the trustee, is yeah, he doesn't think that's a legal clause, uh, which is interesting. But I wouldn't want to debate uh, one of the big developers in court over that because I'm sure their lawyers are a heck of a lot better than mine. Yeah, and and really quickly, like for everybody who's watching and listening, specifically the investors, not all pre-construction slash new build investments for each uh, for for every area is 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 a good investment like specifically i have a lot of agents that i'm watching in the gta and look i i never knock anyone's business model i could care less um but i'm seeing a lot of people speak about for example calgary right now and I personally believe that if you look over time, forget new builds or pre-construction, and you guys are like really data-driven, the both of you, you guys do an amazing job at it, um, you'll see that condos don't appreciate much in, in, in really all of Alberta, but specifically Calgary. And so I don't think that's a good investment because over time, the population in Calgary, they don't like to live in condos. They think mm-hmm. of maybe townhomes, but they're really in the, in the detached world, right? They want a little bit of land. They want a backyard. They want the, the, the white picket fence. And so the, the, the mindset of, of renters and people are not like, ah, yeah, sure, I'll live in the 500-square-foot shoebox. Like, right now, new condos in Toronto, we're seeing, and this is not, like, abnormal by any means. They're, they're 375 to 450 square feet one-bedroom condos, and that's normal. And people are like, yeah, sure, like, great, I can live in there, and that's fantastic, right? So um, I think you got to, as an investor, understand the area um, from a macro perspective, obviously from a micro perspective as well, but you also got to understand the people that are going to be your possible customers. Those tenants of yours are customers and you got to make sure that they actually want to come into your store, your property and rent out that type of unit or that type of property. Jess, how do you think now, right now, someone thinking of buying a pre-construction condo and and I think there's a little bit of like hesitation because if you did it four years ago, they're hearing everything that's going on now. And it was all kind of rosy leading up to the last four years of what's happened. How do you pick a winner now? Like, like what are you great. looking at to your clients? How do you pick a winner? It's a, it's a great question. And it's a very timely question because so I get about in Toronto, I get about 50 to 60 projects at my desk every single year. Okay. Again, don't knock any, any any other business models. I don't talk about all 50 to 60 that I get. Sure. I actually only promote six to eight. Every single year for the last decade, I've, I've stuck to that. Some years it might be five, never more than eight because I just don't like all of them. And, and I base it on really a couple of simple things. Number one is location. Like I want to know exactly where you're building this. Yeah, you can give it to me at, you know, if everything is selling for $1,100 price per square foot and you're selling yours at $750 price per square foot, there's a reason for it. And that's generally because of where it is. And so that's number one. Number two is who's building this. I don't want to be someone's guinea pig. And I definitely don't want my clients to be the guinea pig of a builder who's who, who, who you know it's their first time at the rodeo so to speak and then number three is the incentives i need to make sure that there's the right incentives in place to steve's point if a builder says you can't assign it i'm not I'm not going to work with that builder, not because I want my clients to assign. It's because I know shit could hit the fan and I need them to have that parachute I spoke about earlier in the episode. 
there's a couple of other incentives. Like I need to make sure that they can rent them out during occupancy because there's two parts to a closing when it comes to new builds. And then there's just other incentives. Either I want it to be in first access pricing or I want to look at I want to look at if there's a possibility of of other incentives, i.e. rental guarantees. Um, maybe there's cash incentives to the purchaser to help with the closing costs. So to your question, Tom, right now, as I sit, in fact, tomorrow, um, you know, obviously past this recording, I'm doing a five hour um, investing marathon. I did back in COVID. I went for 12 hours. I got, I just got tired boys of people telling me <laughs> yeah. that I can only talk for 90 minutes. And so I went for 12 hours nonstop on a webinar. Tomorrow, I'm going five hours, and within that five hours, I'm going to launch an opportunity. I've only launched three so far, and we're in September. So this will be my fourth one that I actually launch. And what I'm going to be doing is is I'm going to be speaking about a property in, in Hamilton because it's loaded with incentives. There's about uh, uh, 15000 in cash incentives to my clients as well as a rental guarantee of $5 a square foot to rent. And so for me, that's a no-brainer. Because there's a guarantee on rent for my investor, I know that they're going to be protected in case. Because when I run the numbers based on today's pricing, and that rental guarantee, by the way, the client doesn't have to take it, meaning that if it's more at the time of closing, we can just rent it out for them. And so if you're looking to possibly get into the world of investing into a pre-construction, then I would make sure that, 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 um, I would make sure that we look at a place that is loaded with incentives. Jess, can I ask you a question? How many cups of coffee do you have every morning? Where (laughs) I am, I'm 32 and I'm like ex- I'm like a, a, an afternoon nap guy. Where's your energy from? I got more pre-con questions, but I want to address that quickly. Um, you know, I really appreciate it, brother. I, I, you know, when people ask me how I'm doing, I think it now it starts to become like, it, it, it's like, I'm just making it up. I tell people I'm living the dream and it, yeah. it's really true, right? Like, um, Tom, you and I have known each other for a while, brother. Like, um, the fact that you you started a podcast and you wanted me on it, I'm in the you know Steve wouldn't know this, but I'm in the north. I, I grew up in the north part of Toronto and in an area called Rexdale. Like I'm not supposed to be here, but I'm on the Tom Story podcast. Like what the hell am I doing here? Like it's so cool what I get to do on a regular basis that I feel so blessed that I almost don't want to let. If it's God or the universe, let them down because I got a chance now. I got an opportunity. And so the energy is is like, you know, I sleep a lot. People don't think I sleep. I sleep. I get my six to eight hours a, every single day. I probably only do two cups of coffee to your to your all question. Right, right. It's really early in the morning. Um, and I just want to I want to accomplish a lot, man. And so that's what the, the, the why is big for me right now in my life. Do you need insurance? The answer to that question is obviously yes, of course you do. Whether you are a tenant, landlord, or homeowner, you need to insure your property and belongings. And when I insure my investment property, personally, I choose Square One. Square One is affordable online insurance for everyone. If you apply for your Square One insurance policy using the link in the description of the show notes, listeners of the Tom Story Show can receive $20 off 
right now. Simply by going to squareone.ca slash the Tom Story Show. Square One is no joke. I personally use Square One for my landlord policy on my investment condo. I picked Square One because they were easier to work with than other insurance companies. And when I had an issue with my previous policy coverage in relation to my Stratas coverage, Square One was the insurance company that came up with a solution for my insurance problem at an affordable rate. Online quotes take less than five minutes with Square One. Get your home insurance quote today at squareone.ca slash the Tom Story Show and save 20 bucks. And I joked at the beginning that you're responsible for the people uh, that don't like this podcast. Um, he, he he planted the seed. That's what he did. He didn't do much, but he, he planted did. a do seed. You remember, do you remember, Jazz? Uh, we were I, so I remember it so much that we were doing we were in renovations at at, at the Don Mills location and it was uh it was for your mastermind group we were yep. talking and I said to you Tom it makes absolutely <coughs> no sense with your charisma your knowledge and and your expertise and you're not obviously scared of the camera your viewers know that um that you don't have a podcast like it just doesn't make sense you're you're an authority in the Toronto real estate industry and Canadian wide. Um, and I know I remember that day like it was yesterday, brother. I'm just here's the thing, really, for your viewers and listeners. And and and, and again, sorry for cutting you off. Like sorry. for the real estate agents that are watching this, and I know Steve had a massive role in this as well. I just don't know Steve as much as I know you, Tom. And you guys probably have other people part of the team. But here's the difference between a one just us, just us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Here's the difference to the real estate agents, mortgage brokers, business entrepreneurs, and really everybody who's listening. There's a reason there's a thing called one percenters because they do what 99% of people don't do. Okay. A lot of you maybe heard that saying, but let me go slightly deeper into that. See, Tom's a one percenter factually in our organization of Royal LePage, which is Canada's largest real estate company, um, 21,000 real estate agents. He's in the one percent. Okay. Like, so like black and white numbers. But see, he did what one percenters do, which is he has actually took action. Tom, Steve, I have told in a 24 month period, I'm going to say about like without any exaggeration, I've told about 2000 people to start a podcast. Like three of them have done it. And Tom is one of them. The other is my, my, my business partner in an academy we have. And she probably had no choice, Laura Stewart. She had no choice because I was like beating it down her face every single day like what are you doing you got to start this and then maybe one other person and so it's so important for people to understand that the one percenters are the one percenters because they do what 99 percent of people don't do well i i appreciate you saying that i think more more than anything i think what maybe the three of us have um because uh you know, it's not always smarts. I can speak for myself. It's not always smarts. It's but like we show up every day. We show up every week. We're consistent. We do the thing, and then it builds and it compounds, and and then something really, really cool can happen. Jess, I want to ask you because so me and Steve, we focus a lot of our efforts on building out YouTube channels for consumers. Uh, we we meet a lot of clients on there, and have made a lot of great relationships. It's been, it's been like a lot of fun. Now, you're not you're you're on YouTube too. <clears throat> you have your podcast. You're on TikTok, you're on whatever new platform, you're on everything. Now, I've actually stayed off of TikTok and stayed off of, you know, Twitter and stuff 
because even though the, there's negativity on YouTube, it's kind of like funny negativity. Like it's not directly at you. It's kind of surrounding the topic. And I enjoy some of it. I think it's interesting. But man, you go on TikTok and you make videos specifically at the people that are talking shit to you. And I'm just curious, like, why? <laughs> why do you get involved in all the craziness around it? Well, I think I, I'll, I'll take a step back because I think it's important to add a little bit of context why I'm actually on all the platforms. And the reason I, I decided to kind of go all in on all the platforms, and it probably does hinder my growth on each platform specifically, if I articulated that point well. But the reason I do it is because I came to realize when I speak to my client base of the 11,700 and change, and that's the only reason I started this whole thing was for my clients. And at that time, we were at 3,500 people in our database. And so we've grown it quite significantly, not just through content, but the content is what solidifies my conversations in, in terms of me being the authority. I'm kind of the go-to guy with my clients, not the world, not the country by any means. And so what I came to realize when I was in conversations, boys, was the fact that some people are like Instagram. I don't know what that is. TikTok, no, that's where my my daughter does those those videos and my son does the booty shaking stuff. I don't want to, no, I'm not there. In fact, guys, I've never seen a YouTube video of yours. And I'm like, how the heck do you know me then? Like, how did you get into my world? Well, I only listen to you when I'm in my car. I'm like, oh, podcast. Okay. Then the next call, I'm like, oh, so the, do you ever go on Spotify and Apple podcasts? No, I don't even know what the heck a podcast is. I only watch your stuff on Facebook. And so then I came to realize that, okay, you know what? I'm not going to make the call on how people can consume me. I'm just going to be annoying as you know what, and I'm going to make sure I'm everywhere because I'm just going to follow the thought process that was taught to me by specifically Gary Vee, like not taught yeah. to me specifically by him in person, other than like I spent a day in his office with him and his team. And then I was, he gave me the blueprint and I was like, you know what? I've been kind of following this guy for a little bit, maybe a year at that time. I'm like, I'm just going to execute on this. I'm going to be the 1% that actually takes action. And what's happened is now I'm speaking to real estate agents, I'm speaking to clients, and now it's that mass where I hear, no, man, I don't watch you on this, I only see you on this. So it's hard for me to get away from it, hence why I'm on all the platforms. To answer mm -hmm. your question, I love the comments that I get on the TikToks of the world and all that. Um, the one thing that I feel like I can't, I can't do on YouTube, I don't think I can even do it on YouTube shorts yet, but I might be wrong. I like doing a reply video, yeah. right? It's a layup for me. It's an easy piece of content. I don't touch the racist stuff. I don't even mind it. It doesn't bother me at all. I got really, really thick skin. Um, and I just know that that person, whoever leaves a, a negative comment is probably like, I, I want to leave more comments on people's posts, obviously from an inspiring and positive perspective, but I, I don't. And so for somebody to take the time to leave a negative comment, there's something going on, you know, and then and then I just came to realize like hurt people hurt people like it is yeah. what it is, right? Like you, you can tell our vibration is to bring positivity and inspiration and motivation um, to hopefully someone's ears today. Um, but but if you leave, you know, the guys and gals that leave negative comments, I use those as layups for new videos. And then hopefully, you know, sometimes I reach out and look, look, if you want somebody to talk to DM me, they never do. And it is what it is. Yeah, I, uh, we've I've tried to invite a lot of people on here that just trash talk and 
that doesn't go very far. It's like, yeah, man, come on, be a guest. You're going to tell me the market's coming down or you're going to tell me I'm a piece of crap realtor. Come on, let's talk about it. Never a taker, not once ever. And I actually have some really, I don't know if we should get into it now, but I have some thoughts on. Go for it. I've kind of thought, okay, I will. Um, Those people that leave the, I'm going to, can I even say the word? Sadistic comments, meaning I want everyone else to hurt right? I take pleasure in your hurt. Those people are no joke, always the bottom of the mountain. They are at the bottom. They are hurt themselves somehow or whatever. They can't get out of their financial situation, whatever it is, they are at the bottom. And if they're not at the bottom, at least their mind is. They're at the bottom of the mountain. And what they see is they see a mountain. They see people at the top of the mountain. They see people working up the mountain. And that mountain is a bitch to get up and it's really hard to get up so in their mind the only way they can get success is to not do the hard work to get to the top of the mountain the only thing they can do is hope that the mountain comes crumbling down so they can then they don't have to go very high to get to the top right so it's the only way they can rise up is for everyone else to come down to their level. Here's the kicker, though. Who gets crushed by the mountain when it comes tumbling down? Right? Person it's bottom. The person at the bottom probably gets it worse than the guy at the top. The guy at the top might stand a chance of landing on top of a rock, hopefully. But the guy at the bottom is smushed for sure. And that's the part that they don't have. So if you are of that mindset, and trust me, those people are watching right now, and there's going to be some comments, you're fooling yourself. If you don't have the courage to get up there and start trucking up that mountain to get to the top where the effing winners are, I almost swore there, sorry. If you don't have that, you're never going to have it, and you're going to continue to be a loser. We need less losers. We need more people trucking up the mountain. I very, very well said, brother. You know, it's the, old, it's the old saying of the crabs in the bucket, right? Like they just need to try to pull you down. And But if you look in probably your own personal life, you probably have never seen anybody who's putting out a lot of work or putting out and maybe getting even more results than you, them telling you that you're working too hard or them being that negative. Yeah. Like you just don't get that. Right. And so um, I, I, I'm such a big believer of you become who you surround yourself with. And, and, and I actually look at it from like such a, uh, a positive perspective because yeah, sure. Like if you hang around with five negative people, five people that are not motivating, five people that are always looking at, you know, the, the, the glass half empty, well, you have a good chance of being number six. Right. But where I look at it from is like, man, I just got to be around five people that are always inspiring, five people that are always positive, five people that see that glass as half full, because then I got a strong chance of being number six. And so I'm very cautious, very cautious who I kind of let in to my ears and who I let around me. Um, because I just know, man, vibrations are everything. And so you will always attract the vibration that you're on and not to get all philosophical on the Tom story show today, but it's true. Maybe that's what you need to hear. Somebody who's mm-hmm. watching or listening, which is like audit the time that you're spending with people in your life, because if they're not pushing you and they're not inspiring you, I'm not telling you to cut your mother 
or your 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 you know sibling out of your life, but maybe spend a little bit of less time with them. And if even if if you spend an hour a day with them, can you spend fifty minutes? Get back ten minutes. Now you got you know you got some time back in the week where you can start putting more positive information in, like this show. You know Jazz. where where I found that. Sorry, Tom, to cut you. Yeah, off, keep going, keep going. You know you know where I found that most evident is when I joined a team mm. originally. Mm. as a as a buyer's agent and i had probably five or six agents in the office come to me and say what are you doing giving 50 percent of your paycheck away to that guy mm -hmm. right and i just put that out of my mind right and i mean my thought was i would always way rather have a small piece of a very large pie than a full piece of no pie and now i look at those people and guess what they're still doing their five to ten deals a year in the office if they're and even in the still if they're even in the business and uh most of them are still doing five deals a year six deals a year right and it's like yeah man i put in the hard work to get the experience to put myself in a position where a bad year is 60 deals like that's a bad year now so that's i, I mean it's just there's not enough forefront thought into how to achieve which way you're going right we are going into a coaching call here guys we got to get out yeah, of this. this is great let's, let's talk yeah I, uh, <laughs> I wanted to bring this back for a sec um it's, i'm actually gonna stay out of real estate just for one for the next question so jazz i was just in uh, naples florida i flew down for one day for the bam conference like eric the broke agent was putting this together and and i rarely these days get any nervousness before doing public speaking i know my stuff i know my slides even like going on the news i, I don't know if sometimes i'm like is there something wrong with me like i don't get the as much as i used to but i was sitting there and the first talk after lunch was this agent named chris benamine and he's from la and he climbed mount everest and his talk was about climbing Mount Everest and seeing the first dead body he's ever seen. It was so inspiring. And my talk was about YouTube. And I was up next. <laughs> and I was sitting there like halfway through because he was so good. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, no one's going to like me. Like, I, I was so – I'm always so confident going into it. And then I put it out of my head anyway. So what I'm getting at with all of this – is is the people that are watching on YouTube can see this? The the listeners can't. But Jazz, you're wearing a shirt that says "You are enough." Oh yeah. Am I guessing that you made that shirt? That's not a brand. It's it's, that... it's, our brand. it's my brand. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. So so I know we've been real estate focused pre con whatever's gonna happen with the market. But just to wrap this up here, like, can you just tell me why you wear a shirt that says "You are enough" every day? That that you you put those words on that shirt. Like my my father and my mother. Um, factory worker my mom her whole life um father a taxi driver his whole life um great for education for my uh mother grade eight education for my father and um in school every every like i'm talking no exaggeration guys every week they got a call about me every week they can't stop he's talking he's bothering people there's something wrong with him you got to check him out go like sit, take him to a doctor take him to a psychologist all that and and then they also saw the report cards as well. And my parent, my father always said the same thing to me. He was like, don't worry. You're enough. You have the resources. You just haven't figured out you are going to enjoy. No education, like grade eight education from India. You know what I mean? Like, especially back in those days in the 60s, uh, 50s or whatever it was. Um, and so... I then have come to realize when I'm sitting down with real estate agents and, you know, more from a real estate agent 
perspective that I'm starting to coach and train, when you start to peel back the layers of why they don't want to shoot a video, they don't want to put out a podcast, why they don't want to make a phone call, like why they have a tough time, it's mostly because someone told them that they weren't enough, that they weren't able to do it. And so I'm trying to spread more positivity, man. It's the virus that I like. Um, and so I want to put it out there as much as I possibly can. And it's working because every time I'm on a podcast, everybody always makes reference to it. I forget it, obviously, because this is my uniform. I wear it every single day, you know, either in a T-shirt or in a hoodie format. Um, and so that's that's why I wear this brand, man. Steve, I don't care what anyone else says about you. You're enough for me, okay? I like you. I, I got to rethink my uh, – <laughs> so I had my own T-shirts made. And, uh, I mean, one of them says eat, drink, real estate. So maybe I got to change around my my mindset and my T-shirts. Yeah. And, and it's cool, right? Because sometimes I'll be walking around the office. I could be going to, like, you know, the store here in shops or whatever it is. And people are like, you are enough. You are, and, and, and I know they're saying it as a joke and we're laughing, but it made someone smile. I got somebody to smile, you know, and it, and and if I could just even do that, I'm good. I'm good about myself for that day. All right, Jazz. So to wrap this up, the final question is just going to be about the market moving forward here. You know, I think obviously everyone's guessing where we're going to play out. Some people think a soft landing is coming. Some people think people are going to be in real trouble coming up with the fixed rates. Just general sense of, you know, you're having the conversations, not just with your team members and what they're thinking, but the clients, the homeowners. What are people saying right now? Look, I think from my perspective anyways, I personally think that we are going to have a, a a soft landing, but that that's going to probably play out from the perspective of like, we're not going to see our 7 to 8% increases in the GTA specifically. I, I kind of stick to the greater Toronto area. Um, I, I think we're going to be probably closer to like maybe a 2%, 3% increase kind of year over year. Um, I do think that they're probably going to increase the rate at least one more time for the remainder of 2023 um, and, and come like late 2024 fall maybe around like the time of this recording yeah. this is only based on the what i'm listening to and what i'm watching some of the guys that i've been trusting for the 19 years that i've been doing this the benjamin towels of the of, of of the world chris slightum of the world like you know that guy's really connected um to to some people that that not necessarily make the decisions, but they they got they get to hear what's happening mm. in these Bank of Canada meetings and stuff, right? And so I think sometime in twenty twenty four fall is when we'll start to see the rates come down again. But I also believe that this is our new environment, right? Like I bought a property, my first house that I ever bought was two thousand and six, four and a half uh, uh, fixed rate, and I left the bank thinking I robbed it. Like it was awesome. It was like four and a half percent. This is mm. kick ass. Right? I, I, these Silly 1.99, 2%, 3% rates are gone. They're not coming back unless we have some weird lockdown or pandemic again. And so we're in this new environment of an average interest rate. Where I think we're higher than what the average is going to be, but I think we're going to be you know, in and around that five-year five fixed rate sitting around 5%, right? That's where we're going to be. And I think that was really normal for a very long time. If you look back, like I got licensed in 20, uh, uh, 2004, 2005-ish, and 5%, 6%, that's what was normal. It's just that I think the newer 
um, you know, like the, 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 the guys and gals at 25, 28, 32 years old, they're not used to this stuff, but I'm 41, almost 42. To me, the 5% rates is kind of normal anyway. So that's kind of my take. And I know it's, it might've been all over the place. I just don't think overall in the next 12 months, we're going to see a massive increase in values. I could be wrong. We probably might see that if they do something weird in terms of decreasing rates, which would be awesome, obviously. But I think we're going to be around that 2 to 3%. Yeah, I even think back to like, you know, obviously we don't know what's going to happen. But even the start of this year in Toronto, we had five months in a row where prices went up. And I had some condos that were getting 15, 20 offers. I'm like, after what happened last year, how the hell did this happen so quick? So it's going to be very interesting to see how everything plays out. Um, Jazz. People that are listening, people that are watching, you're the only guy I know with his own app on the Apple Store. So how do they connect with you? What's the best place for them to go? Look, I think the easiest way, and I appreciate it, boys. Again, thanks for having me on. Thanks for, you know, even allowing me to shout something out. But at the end of the day, you know, people who are watching and listening, if they want to get to know and come into Jazz's world a little bit more, go Google me. It's J-A-S-T-A-K-H-A-R. I'm not that hard to find. You decide how you want to consume me in video format, audio, blogs, websites, all that stuff. I'm really not that hard to find, as I said. I love it. Well, I learned a lot today. I'm energized. I feel really good. I, I like didn't have the greatest morning. All this shit was going on. But after talking to you, I'm feeling better. That's the truth. So thank you, Jazz. I appreciate it as always. And hopefully you are enough. <laughs> Finally, someone told me. I'm feeling better now. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I want to let all the listeners and viewers know that you are enough as well. Uh, I hope you have a great day. If you've watched this long and you haven't subscribed already to the channel, make sure to do that. And uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.